0: jarring cacophony tells you that, yet again, it's the Power of Three podcast. We're still in November, we're still looking at Doctor Who books, and we're still looking at books with the Tenth Doctor.
1: I'm Kenny Smith. And I'm David Steele. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. Why are we looking at books with the Tenth Doctor, you may be asking? Well, we're doing books with the Tenth Doctor because David Tennant is back as the Doctor, and of course he played the Tenth Doctor. Try and keep up. It's not difficult. (laughs) Which book are we doing today then, Kenneth? Well, David... We are having a look at
0: Christopher Cooper's book The Krillitan Storm which features those devil
1: faced beings that we first encountered in School Reunion School Reunion which I watched tonight whilst making the tea as a little reminder um, Very interesting watching that after quite a long time Very interesting watching that again indeed Like, um, obviously there's resins because you know, we've lost Elizabeth and all that since um, Didn't David and Billy look young? Anyway, Krillitan Storm Yep uh, we've got Krillatane we've got the Tenth Doctor and we've got a trip to Medieval Worcester yeah this is one that I hadn't read prior to um, our recording preparation listeners all I've been doing for the last four or five weeks if not longer is trying to cram as many of the books that Kenny's picked as possible so that we can have a better conversation about them and I wasn't too fussed about reading this one because I sort of thought Krillatane the sort of D-list monsters the best but then I read the synopsis and saw that it was a uh, you know a pseudo-historical as we like to as we like to say as Doctor Who fans and I thought that actually sounds quite interesting Mm. Um, so i bought a copy very interesting and I've rattled through over the last couple of days yes shall I read out the back cover blurb? please do Dave wonderful when the TARDIS materialises in medieval Worcester the Doctor finds the city seemingly deserted he soon discovers its population living in a state of terror afraid to leave their homes after dark for fear of meeting their doom at the hands of the legendary Devil's Huntsman For months people have been disappearing and the sheriff has imposed a strict curfew across the city, his militia maintaining control over the superstitious populace with a firm hand, closing the city to outsiders. Is it fear of attack from beyond the city walls that drives him or the threat closer to home? Or does the sheriff have something to hide? After a terrifying encounter with a deadly quality the doctor realises the city has good reason to be scared featuring the Doctor as played by David Tennant in the hit series from BBC Television. Fiction, £6.99 in the UK. That is indeed the case, with a cover designed by Lee Binding at Tealady.co.uk. And if you're a regular listener to the F 2 podcast, you may want to take a look at the front cover and take a drink, because it is a full moon present. Ooh. Well, this one I hadn't, I hadn't
0: planned to read so quickly, but it was in last night when we were messaging you said you were reading it so I thought yeah. okay I'll go for it and I got it read I think I got about 120 pages last night about oh, halfway through then
1: right yeah I, and then finished this so 239 pages yeah I mean they're not text. um they're not difficult books to no. read I mean this is the great thing about them they are, they are so much fun um obviously I think re- they reigned a slightly different younger audience than maybe yeah. New Adventures and stuff but at the same time they are very good there's lots in them they're not, they're not like insubstantial disposable by any stretch had you read this one before had you i had, had it? indeed yeah right did you read it when it came out was i read 2009
0: yep that was right. the last time i read it and i hadn't okay. read it since so it was good to come back to it and uh, rediscover it obviously when i spoke to chris cooper i'd i'd sort of skim read it mm-hmm. and to get the highlights from it again yeah. but i read it properly this time because yeah. i thought when we do our discussion it's always good to have these facts at our fingertips
1: yeah and it's, it's good to be fresh on them and letting it's much more satisfying to have a proper conversation when you've actually read it and as I said when we talked about Birthright and Immorality Tale especially. it has been so long since I'd read them. You know, nearly thirty years in the case of Birthright. So it's good, um on whichever day we're on now, to talk about one we've both read. I have to say, I was a little I felt a little bit missold after okay. I finished it. Because especially looking at the back cover, when there's the emphasis on the huntsman and the sheriff, and the sheriff vanishes. He's in two or three scenes near the start and then he vanishes only to be mentioned very briefly in passing towards the end. And they don't really go back too much to the the Devil's Huntsman thing. I was sort of maybe expecting the sheriff and his plans and the Devil's Huntsman, what's going on with all that, to take up maybe much more of the plot. Maybe it would have been the end of episode one or maybe the end of episode two and the old structure when we would have found out. Um it felt that we got to the fact that it was Krillatine's very, very quickly. And I felt, not not that I didn't enjoy the book. I did. I really enjoyed it. It's a really good story. Um, And we'll talk more on that. But I just felt, I didn't really get what I thought I was buying. Does that seem fair? That's, I get what you mean. I mean, for me, I thought it was quite a nice red herring. The fact that we're expecting him to be the the villain of the piece. Yeah, because you almost think he's maybe going to be the master of something, you know.
0: Yeah, I think he was. Yeah, definitely. You do feel that sort of you could be the master or... Some other sort of old foe, the doctors or yeah. or even it could have been Brother Lazar from the from school reunion. Right, of course. something like yeah, that. Yeah. I mean, so that's the
1: thought. At first you sort of think you see one of the Crillatine in disguise himself and then it turns out that it's, it's um, was it Henk, is that what he yes. was called? Is actually manipulating them and stuff? And all that stuff is quite interesting. But I just sort of thought I mean, especially when holding up for the benefit of our YouTube viewers. Uh, we'll probably include this in the photograph that we put up for this this episode this gorgeous little drawing yes at the start like a carving. a medieval etching circa 1140 showing the Doctor and a couple of people in one of the Quillotines and that was amazing that really kind of and I just noticed the TARDIS in the background that really had me going oh this is going to be great because you know it's an unusual the 12th century is quite an unusual period in history to place a Doctor Who story Yeah. so I was just kind of uh, you know everything that we got in the book is probably what I expected, but I did not think I didn't expect it to take quite as mu- up quite as much of the content as it did, and that to, to happen quite as quickly as it did. Right, because I found that the descriptions were very
0: vivid, and I almost pictured like the location of the next doctor, which I think was Gloucester rather than Worcester. Okay, was in terms of where they shot that. Right, and I was picturing it as being quite akin to that. They are quite
1: geographically close. Yeah, and I suppose both take place in the height of winter and all that sort of stuff. Lots of snow around. Yeah, that's fair yeah I mean I thought the fact that we're expecting the Cruelitain to be the the
0: main villain but in fact as you said it's not
1: yeah that was quite interesting um, because you know as I say they're, they're not the most they're not the most exciting they're not A-list you know but yeah. I remember when these books came out and I sort of thought the all right and I scraping the barrel a wee bit and I bought the Jadun one and obviously it was the Dalek one that was reprinted a few years later so it, was, it wasn't the case that um no one's going to rush out and buy a you know it's no offence to who was at Rose School reunion? Toby Withers. yeah so I thought it was it? no offence to Toby no one's going to rush out and immediately and buy the new oh you know if you know if, if the Krill Team were coming back in the second episode of Shooty Gatwa's first series we're not exactly going to be you know celebrating in the streets are we <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it is a good story it does some interesting stuff with them expands on them well in School Reunion obviously it's set as far as the doctors concerned after School Reunion but for the Krill Team so, you know Nearly a thousand years in the past. And it, it was it was very interesting. It was a a fun historical romp, and you know, the Doctor was was four square and centre, and again, like some of the other books that we've talked about from this period, he has a couple of sort of, you know, gap-filling sort of companion type characters, Emily and George Dark, the soldier. And they're both, you know, they're both great fun. I kinda hoped that maybe George would leave with Emily at the st- at the end or she'd stay with him or something. So as we went despite when that didn't happen but no it's um it was very involving and you know as i say like if i can if i can with everything else going on if i can read it in two days that's a good thing yeah i did it in what, less than 24 hours yes <laughs> um
0: but i wanted to get it done so i did read it in my lunchtime and i read it before work this morning since the weather was so bad and chucking it down today mm-hmm. so i was quite happy to you know to get through it and i, I was a real page turner because i wanted to know what happened next and I was like last night when i was getting tired i like one more chapter I just want to read one more because I was enjoying it not because I felt I had to read it and I think that's always a good sign if you're just going to push yourself into just one more chapter Mm -hmm. one more chapter Mm -hmm. but yeah I think uh, I completely agree with you in the fact we've got the the guest companion of the week I think she's great Emily as you said and uh, an interesting again a bounty hunter which of course is something we've seen a few of in
1: recent times with Doom and Brian the Ood and of course even you know comparisons to Mr Baxendale's dialect book which had some bounty hunters and also actually some similarities to Nikki from the Jeroen book which we've talked about elsewhere or we will talk about elsewhere depending on what order these particular episodes go out. If that's going to happen when the Doctor's travelling solo and doesn't have an established companion. You're going to need someone to fulfil that role. And um, Emily was quite interesting. Again similar to Nikki, absent father issues and stuff so that, was, that felt a little bit repetitive but you know unfortunate. It's just the order of read them I suppose. Yeah, but I mean, for me, it's an
0: entertaining read. And why don't we head over and have a word with Chris
2: Cooper? Uh, I'm Christopher Cooper, I'm the author of Doctor Who The Krillatain Storm. Welcome, Chris. It's good to see you.
0: Could you maybe tell us a wee bit about how you came to be involved in this one?
2: Um, well, I've been writing comic strips for Doctor Who Adventures, which you may remember kind of around 2006 I think so I've been drawing cartoons for that and writing some comic strips um, and I think that had caught the eye of uh, Justin Richards at BBC books anyway I got around to him somewhere and they, they asked he asked me if I wanted to pitch an idea for a, a graphic novel which I did but it wasn't a particularly interesting idea so it didn't go anywhere but then he asked me if I wanted to if I fancied doing a book a, a novel and you know I assume by now his hand has grown back from where I bit it off. Immediately <laughs> he said yes, 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 yes. And they said, "What, what do you think about medieval England and the Crillitane?" And yeah, why not? Seemed like a good idea to me. Gargoyles and the olden days, lovely. So, yeah, that's
0: not a bad starting point. So <laughs> I take it that um, having this particular voice, it would already be in your head for your leading man.
2: Yeah, yeah, I mean we did, I'm not sure how many comics I've done by that point, but when you're writing comic strips it's, it's very short and you have, the voice has to come across in a speech bubble. Well I was quite used to having the voice of David Tennant in my head, which probably isn't normal, but it did help.
0: <laughs> so did you, in terms of going with um, with your Krillotanes, was that a case of go back and watch School Reunion a few times
2: and, and see what you learn um... from that? yeah i'm not sure how many times I, I rewatched it i didn't kind of slavishly go over it looking for details but there were things that i really liked about the story when it was on about the krypton because they're kind of it's their one appearance you don't really get to learn a great deal about them so you're not kind of weighed down by the weight of daleks or cybermen or anything like that you know they were kind of loosely there you knew what their abilities were, were you knew they were quite combative and liked to eat people but there were enough little bits there to to kind of draw from like the fact that they were you know their own blood was it blood their oil their own oil that's it i should remember that i admit i've not read the book for quite a while well i mean it's probably a decade so the finer points of my my knowledge of the thing that i wrote are fairly thin but anyway the fact that they were allergic to their own bodies um that they took things from other beings and amalgamated them into themselves. And the fact that we, this story was going to be set before school reunion were all things that I could then draw from and play with and have a lot of freedom to just make stuff up, really. And that was good. That was exciting.
0: So we've got Worcester in 1139. How much research did you have to do into the period?
2: Um, A little bit. I mean, I kind of wanted to approach it in the way Doctor Who has often approached real history. Which is with a certain vagueness of detail, you know. So you, you kind of know the big the big points. I did discover some stuff. I mean, I, I don't know that period of history. So when I was reading about it, it really was a tumultuous period in the country. You know, there were various people vying to be in charge. So I suppose that's every every century ever. But the fact that there was there were things going on in Worcester, which was a city I knew anyway, because my partner's from Worcester. And i would be going there for years, and I knew there was a big cathedral there that was, had a really cool um, underground, but a crypt. A really cool crypt. And these were things that just kind of popped into my head as I thought, that's interesting. So the time period was set at a time when there was kind of people marching on that city, and there was going to be a big battle outside the city, and it was all a bit crumbly. So it seemed like a really good place to set, to hide some Krillatane, you know. So they're, they're up to no good, or someone's up to no good. Actually, they're not not up to make it, It's someone else. The the um, it's kind of a red herring, really. They weren't really the baddies. I think the fact
0: we've got the legendary Devil's Huntsman, what a great name
2: and something yeah. to incorporate. Yeah, all this just random stuff from the area that I had no idea about, and um, just just reading. Once you start reading about an area, weird things come up, and the weird things always catch your eye and just think, oh. I'll steal that. So,
0: I suppose that's something for you as a writer, having these things virtually there on a plate for you. It's like, oh,
2: yeah, yeah. I think the key is you find these little bits, and it's it's then seeing seeing these things and bringing them together. You know, so like the Devil's Huntsman and the political intrigue and gargoyle monsters, and a location that I could really visualise as well. But you see one idea and it leads you to another idea, which leads you to another idea like I think in um, in school year, the fact that they, the dog says the last time I saw them, they didn't have, uh, had really long necks and no wings. But obviously in this story, he's meeting them after that, but before that. So for him, he's, he's meeting them in a non-linear way, but it meant I could have them without wings so they can fall off things. I didn't want them flying around. I wanted them to be uh, a little bit more grounded and I don't think I gave them long necks. I can't remember now. Maybe I did. Anyway. I stole things from what had been said about the in school reunion and tried to reinterpret them to an earlier stage. So that was quite fun. All these ideas, all these little, it's like a, it's like a pick-a-mix really.
0: I suppose with your comic experience, you're used to thinking visually. So did having that established setting make a difference for you as a case of you could something, you can actually go and see this tangible, you could you know, have a look in YouTube or whatever it may be, and see these things and bring them to
2: life. Yeah, I mean, I kind of, I knew this crypt that I've been there a few times. and It was really cool. And there are a few streets in Worcester that still have their old medieval buildings. So apparently in the sixties, they completely ravaged it, pulled it down, put some concrete up, which they are now pulling down. But there are still a few streets that exist with these lovely old, uh, you know, bendy buildings that lean over and it's got those black bits and the white bits in between. And, you know, so I could really visualize how that city would have looked almost a thousand years ago, 900 years ago. I kind of like that period anyway just visually because it's, it's all very interesting. So it was easy to visualise the setting, um, it was easy to visualise the monsters, but then I did do, I made make these kind of, um, not mood boards so much, but you know, I cut out loads of pictures and chopped things around in Photoshop to create streets and to create these places and I found some old maps that showed, that inspired some of the story as well, where there were, uh, there was a sort of a fort just beside the cathedral. So I kind of, before, probably before I even started writing, I built up a kind of a map of the world that these, the story was going to inhabit.
0: Given that when you've been doing your your previous strip, you were doing your strips, obviously there, so you're trying to get the story told in a certain way in a certain number of pages and to keep the pace going, how did you find doing that mm. transfer to having prose and actually having the chance to take a bit more time and, and build things up?
2: Um, it was really good because, yes, with with um, with comics, I think they used to be about eight pages when the, when Doctor Adventures first started. You you could even have two part stories. You know, it was quite the stories became shorter as time went on, and we ended up living like four page stories that were quite bonkers. But in the early days, it was almost like the old Doctor Who weekly style of, of storytelling. But then being being given a novel where you could just get into a character's head and spend some time there. And build build up to you know build some tension. It's it's harder to build up tension in a kids comic where you you know you're hitting beats. You need a monster at the end of this page, and you need, uh, um With books, you can have quiet bits, and you can drift off for a little while. So it was it was quite liberating to be able to do that. It was interesting spreading a plot over such a a long page count. It's about fifty thousand words, I think. So figuring out again, there was like I've made a visual map of it. I made a a nice plan of where I needed to be at which points, but allowing myself enough room to go off in different tangents. I mean, there were characters that just kind of appeared because they had to be in the story, you know. Someone who was a throwaway character would suddenly get a name and have to do something and then become something more. So I kind of tried to give myself a path, but be quite organic so I could explore different things. So that was quite fun.
0: How did you find de- developing your own characters in depth and the fact that you get to do a, a pseudo-companion in
2: Emily Parr? Yeah, well, the great thing about that was I, I literally only had to worry about one character being right, as it were, which is the Doctor, which is, you know, if you're as ancient as me, you've grown up with this character. Despite what they look like and and their accent, it's the Doctor's always the Doctor. I mean, you just can't get away from it as this little warm hearted mad lunatic wanting to do good things. and excited um, but everyone else was fair game which was great I mean i kind of borrowed archetypes the big main baddie he's just kind of an unscrupulous moneymaker really there was a soldier who was based Captain Dark he was actually based on a friend I mean loosely based on a friend he's not a medieval soldier he's in he books in a factory I think but I stole his name and made him a nice chap Uh, And Emily's based roughly on what I thought my daughter might turn out to be. Because at the time she was two, and now she's a lot older. And nothing like the character, but, you know. (laughs) I thought it might encourage her to read it at some point, which I think she did eventually when she was seven or eight. Yes, giving them depth. I mean, whether I succeeded in giving them depth or not, I'm not sure. I hope I did a little bit. I think you, you tend to put yourself into these people that you've made up not not the same yourself every time, but just little snippets of yourself that you can kind of do a bit of wish fulfillment with, or, you know, someone that owns their own spaceship and it's got a really good cloaking device. It's quite a cool thing to have that I'd, I'd like to, you know, I'm never gonna have that, but I can make a character that has that. Yeah, it's just interesting. They kind of grow. If they're working, they kind of turn into people. It's odd. It's really odd. <laughs> That's a mad answer, sorry. (laughs) um,
0: Did things change much along the way, or do you pretty much adhere to your original outline that you submitted, or were there things that perhaps organically developed that you didn't expect?
2: Well, I kind of knew where I was going to end up, but I didn't know necessarily what the finale was going to be. Um, So it kind of ends up with a, a massive fight on the roof. And obviously because the characters can't fly at this point, or one of them can't, they could fall off and be hurt, so just to add a bit of drama. And that wasn't—I knew they were going to have a fight, but I didn't know where it was going to happen. When they started writing, there was so much that kind of happened because of the building. You know, the the big auction scene happens in the building that's part of the cathedral. It's a great, big, lovely, big round space that's kind of separate to the main building that I'd been in a few times and just walked around. And it was, it was a really cool space, and it just seemed like a really good place to set something. So that kind of that thing you mentioned earlier on about ideas, plug from here and plug from there and put together knowledge of this place, and then wanting to do that, it's like, well, there's, that's where I'll set that. It's, it's just over there. I know how you would walk there. I know then if something got out, a big monster got out, i know which corridors you'd be running around to escape. Medieval corridors are good as well. You have to have medieval corridors. And there's this lovely kind of cloister area that, you know, you can have people running down. I kind of felt you probably have to you know if you if you've pitched a storyline you have to stick fairly close to it because that's what's been commissioned but beyond that there was there was leeway to to wander off and i did
0: nothing wrong with that (laughs) nothing wrong with that did you have much um you know sort of interaction with justin as your editor and indeed anything from the production office along the way
2: no not really I'd send the occasional chapters to Justin just to make sure I was on the right track. And he'd send suggestions back, which was useful. I didn't really have much communication with the production. I did sort of vaguely know Gary Russell, who I think was working on the brand side of things at the BBC at the time. I think he may well have suggested to Justin, look at these comics, he might be useful for that, for which I'm always grateful for. But no, no, I I eventually met Justin in person at a BBC Books drinks do. About halfway through the writing of it, and that's, that was kind of like the only social interaction I, I had. But yeah, it's kind of arm's arm's length. You, you you were kind of left to explore on your own uh, up until you know the point where the editor has to then look at it and, and go through it. So it was kind of quite nice.
0: Did it didn't feel to be part of sort of you know the ongoing series at that point? You know because here's a. Obviously, not everybody read Doctor Who Adventures, but quite a lot of the more mature readers. So, we say, or fans uh, were buying the books.
2: Yeah, well, it was great to be given a chance to contribute to sort of the written form of Doctor Who because I read all the Target books when I was a kid, as, as many of us did. I think it's true for a lot of boys. A lot of boys that was a that was their reading matter. was the only thing that they would read, and yeah, proper books. I got told off at school for not reading proper books, which really wound me up because I thought, these are proper books, look at the words, they're on pages and they tell good stories and I'm engaged with them. You know, I think they were great books for encouraging kids who might've just gone out and played football to do something a little bit more uh, mentally driven. So to be allowed to contribute something to that kind of, um, what's the right word? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah to be able to contribute it? something to that literary form that is yeah. very specific to do a kind of target book was was great it was really exciting i was very pleased to do that
0: yeah and when it came out good reviews and i i remember reading it when these when these books came out i was devouring them in an evening I just, <laughs> I just i just loved them it was just that extra little bit of content when you're yeah when you're hungry for it and um so i think my daughter would have been three around this time so she'd be in her bed nice and early, so it'd be a good it'd time to stay evenings to to do the reading. So I absolutely love this and the others and it must please you to know that, you know, when you've put your heart and soul into something that means so much to you and from your childhood mm. that other people can see what you've done and appreciate it.
2: It was nice. I mean, I know you're not supposed to read reviews, uh and I if I, if one seems to be going bad I'll stop reading it. But I do look at them because you, it's nice to have that little bit of affirmation that what you've done, and I did approach the book, which has turned out to be true, with the assumption that it would probably be the only chance I'd get. Um, so I did. I put a lot of care and attention and love into that story because it was such a privilege to be allowed to write for Doctor H to be able to write for the Doctor and put some of yourself into that. And it was it was great, and it was really nice to to know that you know at least a handful of people liked it. <laughs> Which is worthwhile, I mean, I, I also, you know, it's a, it's a niche, it is a niche readership, I think, certainly, maybe less so now than it was, was back, it's not like Star Wars or something where billions of people read it worldwide, you know, Doctor Who is, is still kind of ours and still kind of small, in a way, certainly it wasn't 2009, but so it felt like I was sharing a bit of myself with, with that close-knit group of like-minded, strange people that we are.
0: We certainly are. But I suppose in <laughs> 2009 it would have been a bigger group than would have been in, t- in 1999 and
2: who knows where things are going to go now. Well, God, yeah. I mean, we were we we're in the wilderness, right? I mean, what strikes me at the moment is we're two years away from New Doctor Who being 20 years old. You know, let alone the fact that this is the 60th. In two years time, New Who... Is older than the gap, the wilderness years where we had nothing. It's it's a very bizarre concept to get your head around.
0: So, how do you look back on the Krillitane storm now, for some fourteen years after you sent off the final pages to Justin?
2: How long? Fourteen. Oh, is it really that long? Jeez. I don't know. I had a great time writing it. I used to sneak off at lunch times at work. Find a quiet room. I wrote most of it on on my phone because at the time I had a, a little a earlier Microsoft Windows type phone with a little stylus tap 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 tap, which I I swear moved my eyesight on a few years than it should have done, to the point where I needed reading glasses instead of just glasses. So it was just it was quite an intense little period of of creativity that I I look back on really fondly. I think it it did me a lot of good in terms of. I don't know, I don't want to say self-worth, but it felt important that I was that I was working on it. And it, it. It's still quite a pivotal, life-affirming experience, yeah. even though I was out on my own doing it. You know, it's not like I was out. You know? <laughs> it's weird. Very self-enclosed, but at the same time, very expressive, which, is, which was a nice experience.
0: And of course you got an audiobook version as well. Red I know, I've it up here. Hang on, let's
2: see. Here we go. The unabridged version.
0: Oh, I've not Red. heard
2: it. I've not CDs heard it. CDs that maybe. I can't even play because I don't have a CD player. <laughs> Which is absurd. There's a bloke out of... Was it Holby City or Casualty? It was in Casualty. one of those two. Yeah, Will Thornton. He was in... Um, the sitting Pit, yeah. There. Yeah. It was terrific. I, I did... I preferred listening to that than I can't reread it because I'll just notice grammatical errors or things that I just still all this time later would, I shouldn't have phrased it like that. But listening to uh, listening to it being read was, was good fun.
0: Yeah, well, something I can definitely recommend, which cost me 20 quid off uh, a leading online shop, an <laughs> external CD drive, which is great because then I can rip it to listen to my hard drive.
2: Oh my God, that's a great idea. I didn't know you could, well, I mean, I've probably looks, but not both. It
0: twenty quid. Twenty quid—that's what I paid for that one. So, and it's only a couple of years old. So,
2: <laughs> so your archive comes out of the attic.
0: Oh, it does. Everything has been ripped. My um, Doctor Who soundtrack CDs. Everything—it's all there, <laughs> sitting on that hard drive there. So, it's good. It's good. know <laughs> Chris, thank you so much. It's been real joy to chat, and uh, thank you for sharing your memories.
2: Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks very much for talking to me
0: been nice. Thank you very much for that Chris. Now Dave
1: as yes. always when we've spoken with the author the next thing we do is? We look back at an old contemporary review to see what was said about it at the time. So this is what from which issue of Doctor Who magazine? From Doctor Who magazine issue 414 Gosh. which I thankfully have a
0: PDF version of on my laptop so it makes it far easier than carrying physical copies around. Writer Christopher Cooper Keeps these criss-crossing storylines clear enough that, despite its complexity, the plot never becomes convoluted and packs in enough incidents to ensure that there are no dull moments. With each chapter, the threat becomes both clearer and bigger than it was before, so that the lone crillitine scavenger of the first chapter is gradually revealed to be part of a conspiracy that involves the new sheriff and the Bishop of Worcester. This escalating danger is compelling and the climax which can so often be where these books come unstuck is huge and personal at the same time and extremely rewarding. The Krillity and Storm is the best of these latest three Tenth Doctor books and a very impressive debut, according to Matt Michael. Wowza! So, what were the other two that came out at the same time as this that one? That was the Sun, the the taking of Chelsea, 43. forty-three and Autonomy.
1: Interesting. Forty-six. Um, Forty-six. Yeah. Um, I think if I'm being honest. I think on balance I probably enjoyed Autonomy a little bit more but Crillitane was maybe a little bit more satisfying in some ways interesting interesting I do like the plot with
0: this with the fact that you've got Hink creating the Crillitane storm which is basically a giant Crillitane yeah and the way that it's defeated yes we know how you're going to kill a Krillotain with its own oil mm. but I think it's not done the way I expected which I quite liked
1: yeah I mean, it's it's great. I, I did enjoy it very much. I should, you know, from all I said about you know my expectations, such as they were, because you know, it was interesting the way, as it, as Matt says in the review, that it sort of expanded and just and you think this was happening, this was happening and another sort of twist. It was the idea that you know they were sort of um, farming the krill because of the you know to ha- to so they can basically sell this some um, ability to you know alter your DNA and all that sort of stuff or to, to custom build. You know, whatever, whatever you want using the DNA. That was very interesting. Again, that built on very well in what was established in, in School Reunion. Yeah, it was, it was very good. I think we can see further than that. That'll do. That'll do quite nicely, Dave. So there we go. Well, I enjoyed that. Why don't we come back and do another one tomorrow? That's a great idea. Lovely. Right, so inevitably, um I have to ask you, what are we playing out with today? Well, as you know, we did
0: briefly discussed this beforehand and we actually have picked the same song. So why didn't you introduce it today
1: Dave? Yes I'm going to Google and type songs with the word storm in the title. What was the first one that pops up? Riders in the Storm by the Doors obviously. So that's what we're going to play with some of it at least today. Bye bye Kenny I'll see you tomorrow. Bye bye Dave I'll see you tomorrow.
0: That was a high five not a slap in his bottom. (laughs) Or a slap in my head. No.
3: Anyway (laughs) we'll see you then Bye bye.